0: Last week, we uh, <clears throat> we learned that Jesus Christ is the creator and the sustainer of all things because He is God. All things, everything, was created by Him, through Him. And for him. For his purposes. Jesus had a purpose when he created this world. And he had a purpose when he created you. A truck driver was hauling a load... Of 15 penguins to the zoo. But unfortunately, his truck broke down on the way. Eventually, he waved down another truck and offered the driver $500 to take the 15 penguins to the zoo. The next day, the first truck driver got his truck fixed. And he drove into town and he couldn't believe his eyes. Just ahead of him, he saw the second truck driver crossing the road with 15 penguins waddling or waddling single file behind him. He jumped out of his truck and ran up to the guy and said, What's going on? I gave you $500 to take these penguins to the zoo. To which the man replied, I did take them to the zoo, but I had money left over, so we're going to the movies. That's the best I could do. I'm hurting, I'm hurting, Travis. No, I'll give it. I love okay, you. okay. It. I love okay. You, brother. That's all I got. I'm tapping out. That guy didn't fully understand what he was supposed to be doing. And likewise, many believers don't understand what they're to be doing either. And so that's what we're going to talk about. This morning, serving well. Now before we dig in, let's talk about the Apostle Paul for a moment. As you know, before Paul became Paul, he was also known as Saul of Tarsus a devout Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, and a man who zealously persecuted anyone who dared to name the name of Jesus and follow him. Saul was a one-man wrecking machine who ravaged the early church. One day, after Stephen had been stoned to death with the approval of Paul, or Saul, excuse me, he was on his way to Damascus with authority from the high priest to arrest and to imprison and if necessary, to kill Christians. Men, women, young and old, it didn't matter to Saul. As far as he was concerned, he was doing God's work. He was doing God's work. It was his passion. And that work was to crush this new Christian movement called The Way. Well, at midday, while on the road approaching Damascus, Saul saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around him. He fell to the ground. And Saul heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Saul had been hunting the church. But he had no idea the head of the church was hunting him. The hunter was hunted down. And Saul, now a changed man, who would later be known as the Apostle Paul, was a man with a new purpose. For the Lord chose him to be a minister. Paul didn't ask for it. He didn't seek it. And he certainly did not earn it. Instead, by God's grace and mercy, he was chosen for the role of sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. The role that came at a very heavy cost for the sake of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11... Paul confronts some false apostles, imposters, who claimed to be superior to Paul, proclaiming a different gospel. And unfortunately, they had gained an audience within the church. For Paul, the gospel was at stake. And so, in this confrontation, Paul gave evidence that he was a true servant of Christ. And he explained to them what it cost him. Beginning with verse 23. And I'm reading from the the New Living Translation on this passage. Paul shares what he had faced. And he says, Are they servants of Christ? He's speaking of these impostors. He's speaking about the impostors. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman. In other words, I can't believe I'm saying this. This is going to sound crazy, but I have served him more. I have worked harder, been put into prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food i have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm then besides all this i have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches i think it's fair to say that paul knew a thing or two about suffering. In fact, as he writes this very letter to the Colossians, he is in confinement in Rome, awaiting trial on false charges. So with Paul's suffering as our background, let's pick up where we left off in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we'll begin with verse 24. Colossians 1, 24. <clears throat> Paul tells us, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. In filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What comes to mind when you hear the word suffering? Like most people, you probably think about pain, misery, sadness, or something like that. At the moment, I'm thinking about kidney stones and lower back pain, but that's just me. Now, if you're really spiritual like most of you are, Maybe you think about the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's if you're really spiritual. But whatever you are thinking, chances are what you don't think about is rejoicing. But that's what Paul says as he begins to discuss his own experiences. I rejoice in my suffering. That might be hard to understand, and Paul might seem a little crazy, but fortunately for us, he gives us an explanation. He shares the reason why he can rejoice in his suffering. Paul says... As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he knows that his suffering is for the sake of others. For the sake of others. He was able to see that his suffering, as bad as it might be, was for the greater good of others, for the church. His suffering had a purpose, a purpose greater than himself. God was using it. And through Paul's suffering, he was allowed in some measure to identify with Jesus, who also suffered for the greater good. Now, if you take a look at that last portion of the verse, what Paul says is somewhat confusing. Do you see it up there? He says that his suffering fills up fills up what is lacking In Christ's afflictions. Do you see that up there? So what in the world does Paul mean by that? At first glance. This may sound like. There was something lacking. In the Lord's suffering. And death on the cross. That's what it sounds like at first glance. But it is clear throughout the entire New Testament that the Lord's suffering on the cross was complete and sufficient for the work of salvation to all who put their trust in him. We know that nothing is lacking in the Lord's suffering on the cross He paid for our sin debt in full. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. Our sin debt, all of it, was fully paid by him once and for all. So if this has nothing to do with the Lord's suffering on the cross, then what is Paul telling us here? Well, first off, that Greek word for afflictions, and depending on your Bible translation, it might say something else but it'll be the same Greek word. The Greek word for, aff- for afflictions is philipsis. Philipsis. And that word is never used for the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Never. That word is never used. So right off the bat, we know that Paul is not talking about Christ's suffering for the sin of the world. He's talking about something else, and it is this. Just as the world hated Jesus during his ministry, so the world will hate his followers. His body. church. There are many in this world, even today, some 2,000 years later, who resent Jesus. Even the mention of his name is offensive to some people. Some of you know this firsthand. In fact, you experience this even in your own family. Jesus is hated. But Jesus is not physically here. But his followers are. Paul is saying they hate me because they hate Jesus. They can't get to Jesus. So they take it out on me because I follow him. And it's my turn to suffer on behalf of his body. The church. Listen, if you are really following Jesus, okay, if you are really following Jesus Christ, you are going to rub some people the wrong way. You are going to offend some people because you take a stand for Christ. There is a cost. And you might suffer to some degree. But in your suffering, you can rejoice because you are taking your turn just like Paul took his. You are identifying with Jesus who suffered for you. You are drawing nearer to him. We can rejoice. You know, Paul knew that suffering was in store for him at the very start. At the very start. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9, begin with verse 10. And I'll show you here what I mean. Now there was a disciple at Damascus called Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. Straight Street. And inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, and you got to love Ananias here. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument Of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul knew he was to suffer after his Damascus Road experience. There was a purpose for his suffering. It was for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others. That's what he tells us as he continues with verse 25. Of this church... I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. I have been looking forward to sharing this verse with you. I looking forward to it. Paul says he was made a minister. And I want to speak about this for a moment because you may be thinking, this has absolutely nothing to do with you. And you would be wrong. And let me explain. In the Greek, the word minister is Dikonos. Dikonos. Which means a simple, humble servant. That's what it means. A simple, humble servant. And the Greeks used this word to describe those who were serving in demeaning and degrading roles. That's how the Greeks used this word, it was for those who were serving. In demeaning and degrading roles, but here Paul uses the exact same word to describe his God-given role. Paul was a diakonos, a servant, and that describes. Every single person who knows Jesus Christ. Every Christian is a dikonos, a servant. Every Christian has been called to serve with whatever spiritual gifts and time and resources the Lord has provided to you. It may not be a calling to preach like Paul's was. But whatever your calling might be, the challenge is to fully carry it out in the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting the Lord to accomplish his work in you and through you. I also want to mention this, as you know, and I know you know, as you know, for those who have truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ, their sins have already been judged and paid for in full. And in that sense, their judgment was completed on the cross. You following me? Okay. By God's mercy and grace, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ will not be judged for sin. But with that said, According to 1 Corinthians chapter three, Second Corinthians chapter five, and Romans chapter 14, there is a judgment for Christians. But it's not a judgment for sin. It's a judgment for our service. For all believers, There will come a time when Jesus evaluates the quality of our work, the quality of our service. One day we will stand before the Lord for judgment for what we have done with what he has entrusted us with. And that judgment will result in rewards. Rewards given and rewards withheld. So how are you using your time? How are you using the resources that God has provided to you? How are you using your spiritual gifts given to you? How are you serving? How are you loving? How are you caring? How are you sharing? And if your answer to me is going to be, well, I just can't do much. I just can't do much. Then I need to remind you of the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. It's, I don't have that, don't worry about it. where the master, and you know that you know the parable, the master gave five talents to one servant, two to another, and one to a third. And even though these servants were given different amounts, All three of them were expected to use whatever they had been entrusted with. And they were judged by their master accordingly. Maybe you can't do much. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can make the most of what God has given to you. That's what Paul did. That's what Paul did. He was called to preach. That was the role given to him as a servant. As a dikonos. And beginning with verse 26, this was his message. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the age past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his servants to whom God willed to make known what his riches of the glory of this mystery among the gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory Paul calls his message The mystery. The mystery that is now revealed to all the saints. That being God's saving mercy and grace once proclaimed only to the Jews through the prophets and their scriptures was now being proclaimed far and wide among the Jews and the Gentiles alike through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles... who trusted Jesus... could now experience... all the benefits... of being children of God. Meaning they too... were now included... in the glory... and the riches... of God's grace. They too received... the redemption... and the forgiveness of sin... and not only that every believer is placed in Christ. And Christ is in every believer in the person of the Holy Spirit, filled with the hope of glory. This mystery was absolutely mind-boggling. Many of the Gentiles had a difficulty believing this message after years of being treated like dogs. And the Jews would come to resent and reject this message. And Paul would suffer much for it. But to Paul, it was necessary, all necessary, in fulfilling the purpose to which he had been called. That being to proclaim the word of God, the message of the gospel, saved by grace alone, in faith alone In Christ alone. That was his message. The mystery of salvation would come to the Gentiles and to us. And in verse 28, Paul explains how he did this. He says, We proclaim him. We proclaim him. Paul didn't preach politics or philosophy or even a system of theology. That's not what he preached. Paul's message was about a person, Jesus was the centerpiece of his message. And all the theology that came with it, and there was a lot, of all, a lot of theology, was still centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Paul could not preach the gospel without preaching Jesus because Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the gospel. In his preaching, Paul said that he admonished people. That seems to suggest that out of his concern, like a father figure, he cautioned and he warned those who would listen to change their attitudes and to change their actions. And then he taught them and instructed them and encouraged them with wisdom so that they may grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and become faithful and mature followers. This is what Paul did. It was his passion. He was consumed by it. And it was something that we can do as well. Kent Hughes relates the story of a 70-year-old blind, uneducated African woman who got saved. filled with gratitude to the savior she wanted to do something for Christ so she went to the missionary with her french bible she had a french bible and asked him to underline john 3:16 in red she's blind Underline John 3.16 in red. The missionary wondered what she was doing. So he watched. As she took her Bible and sat in front of a boy's school in the afternoon. When school was dismissed, she would call a boy or two and asked them if they knew French. When they proudly said they did, she would say, please read the passage underlined in red. When they did, she would then ask, do you know what that means? And then she would proclaim Christ to them. Over the years, 24 young men became pastors due to her simple work. This was an elderly blind woman who made the most of what God had given to her. This was a woman who understood that her purpose was to proclaim Christ. And that's what she did in her own simple way. That's what she did. That's what Paul did. And that's what we're supposed to do as well. To proclaim Christ. Was it easy for Paul? Absolutely not. Listen to what he says in verse 29. <clears throat> for this purpose I also labor. Striving according to his power. Which mightily works Within me. Paul admits he labored. And that word implies he did it to exhaustion. To exhaustion. Yes, at times the work is exhausting, the work is agonizing. The work is difficult. The work is a struggle. The work is hard. It was for Paul. But thankfully, the Lord was mightily at work in him. You see, Paul was appointed to do the work. To serve well in his role. And it was the Lord who empowered Paul to do it all. Paul could labor and strive. Because he did so by relying on God's. When Paul worked, so did the Lord. That's what he's saying. When Paul worked, so did the Lord. Now let me close with this. Excuse me. Everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord has a calling and a gifting to serve. All of us. Are appointed by God to be his ministers. His diaconos, His humble servants. In some form or fashion. Every one of us. And as we serve and follow the Lord, He may lead us down a difficult road. There may be suffering for His sake and for the sake of others. There may be suffering. But we can still. Find joy. We can still have this inner contentment, this inner satisfaction, because we know that God is doing something in us and through us. He has a purpose for what He does. And ultimately, We can have joy because we are drawing nearer to him. So our challenge, our challenge is to serve him well. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your words. For me, they were convicting. For me, they were insightful. Father, obviously I can speak for myself, but I think I can speak for others here as well. We want to serve you well. Help us, Lord, to serve you well. Whatever that might look like. Wherever that may lead. Whatever the cost. Help us to follow you and serve you well. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you go back to that last verse? There we go. Thank you. That was a difficult verse for me this week. It's a simple verse. A stake in my heart. For the last two months, I've been struggling. Even fearful of a burnout. two months I feel like I've been burning out. And it shows. I get that. It shows. It's hard for me to put together sermons and Bible studies. I struggle at it. I'm not a preacher. Just a diagnosis. But the reason why that passage is really slamming—it showed me that I was trying to do this in my own power. Paul can say, I can labor to exhaustion. I can agonize. But it's in his power. It's in the Lord's power. Not Paul's. Paul couldn't do the things he did. He couldn't suffer like he did. No way. He's just a man. Simple, humble servant who relied and depended upon his God. I failed you in that. Absolutely. Your pastor is growing just like you're growing. My favorite verse, John chapter three. Lord, you must increase, and I must decrease. And until I do that. Burn out. If you think about it. Because they're not relying on the power of God to do the work in them. That's the reason why pastors burn out. Does that make sense? And I have fallen prey to that. Place in my life where I can fully trust and depend on God to do His work. This is His church. It's not my church. This is His church. And I need to depend upon Him. Is that going to be a challenge for me? Who oh, you yes, it, really? That would be a challenge for me to get me out of the way. But that to happen. I was wondering if all this back pain and kidney stones were part and parcel of that. Because I feel weak. Maybe you're here this morning. Well, I understand what you're saying. I've been trying to live the Christian life of my own power. And that's not what it was, that's not what it's meant to be. For you or for me. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That explains why you have no power. If you don't know him, I would love to introduce you to him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Maybe you need prayer. I would love to pray with you however the Lord may lead you, I just ask that you respond to him in obedience. Because he wants you. He has a purpose for you. And He in power. All right. Stand, please.